Hold your hand up real high. The ushers have extra Bibles. We'd be glad to let you use one of ours. And let's go to Acts chapter 4. We've been on this subject for some weeks now. A series we've entitled Great Grace. Great Grace. In the book of Acts, we see in the first chapter, Jesus has been resurrected, raised from the dead. And we see him speaking to his uh, followers and then being caught up out of their sight into the clouds. And, and the angels saying, just like you saw him go, he's coming again. How many believe he's coming again? Just like, just like that. And on the, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and filled all of them. And they came down out of the upper room full of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and Peter preached to the crowd that gathered and thousands were saved. And then we see in Acts 3, we see the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. He was a, a fixture around there for years, I guess. Everybody saw him and knew who he was. And by the power of God and the name of Jesus, he was raised up supernaturally. His never walked from his mother's womb, but his feet and ankle bones were, I don't know, reconstructed, remade, whatever. And he jumped up and leaped and walked. Think about what a miracle. Not only was he healed, he's never taken a step. He didn't have to learn how to walk. He's jumping and leaping and, and, and running. And that didn't make everybody happy. Uh, the religious leaders threatened them not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus and even beat them. But they came back to their own company and they didn't pray a scared prayer. They said, Lord, help us to preach this with more boldness and give us some more of these miracles. And God shook the very house they're praying in by the power of God. And the Bible tells us in this fourth chapter, gives us kind of a uh, uh, overview statement of the condition of the church here at this time. Verse 33, Acts 4.33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Said out loud that last phrase, and great grace was upon them all. Say it again. And great grace was upon them all. Something was on them. Not just a few of them, not just the apostles and prophets and pastors, all of them. Everybody from the saint that had been walking with God for, for years to the one that got saved yesterday. Grace was on them and we were told a descriptive measure, great grace. Well, if there could be great grace, there could just be some grace, a little grace. And then we see here, great. The scripture says in Proverbs 19.12, you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs 19.12 says the king's favor is as dew upon the grass. The same word translated grace is sometimes translated favor. Well, favor or grace is compared to dew. Well, dew can be so light that it's barely perceptible, or it can be so heavy that it's like it was a light rain and it's dripping off of stuff. Well, grace is like that. Grace can be in your life and on you, and you not even realize it. You, uh, you know, some graces we're born with. 
Some graces are added to us when we're born again or when we're filled with the Spirit. Or later in life as we uh, progress into another part of our calling or what the Lord has for us. But uh, I know the Lord helped me to see years ago some things that I was doing. You know, a couple of years ago, the Lord made this statement to me, and I shared it with you, that he was helping me more than I knew. Well, that is grace not perceived. Grace is working, and you don't perceive it. And the thing the Lord began to show me about this years ago was that things that I have been able to do and found easy to do uh, was not just because I could do it. It was grace that had been put in me. And every one of us, that is the case. Grace. And if you don't acknowledge this, then you can get to thinking, well, yeah, that's just, I can do that. I have skills. <laughs> well, now, it's grace. It's the grace of God. And if you have grace that's enabling you, what if you had more? How would that affect you? Could you tell it? How would it show up in your life? What if you had 50% more grace on your life by the end of this year than you had in the beginning of the year? Could you tell it? How would it affect you? Let me give you some scriptures that do, that tell us some of the aspects of grace. Hebrews 4.16, again, you don't have to turn to these, just listen to them. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. His grace is our help. So if we had more grace, we'd have more help. Would you take more divine help? Second yes. Timothy 2.1. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His grace is our strength. Would you take more strength? The scripture says in Hebrews 12.28, it says, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. His grace is the ability to serve him excellently. To serve him in a manner that's pleasing and acceptable to him. If we had more grace, we'd have more help, more strength, more ability. Could we tell that? Sure you could. Sure you could. It would show up in numerous ways among these. If there had been something that you had been struggling with, with more grace, now that would be easy. If there's something that you had not been able to do. With more grace, now you would be able to do it. With enough grace, things, areas where you've fallen and made mistakes over and over again, with enough grace and strength, you'd stop yielding to it, put it behind you, be done with it. With enough grace, you can overcome any temptation, get free of any habit, receive any miracle. Do you believe this? With enough grace, you can. Are you desirous? Of more grace. So the Bible tells us that we can have more grace and greater grace, and that's what this study's been about. Now, if you haven't been with us, we've already covered a lot of ground, and we've looked at numerous examples. We looked at Joseph and how, by the grace of God, he wound up in charge everywhere they put him. 
Right? It didn't make any difference if he was a slave or he was in jail or if he was over the whole country of Egypt. Everywhere he went, the grace of God brought him into such favor, he wound up running the place. We see grace in the life of Daniel. How that he and his, uh, those that were with him, they wound up ten times better in their studies and, and their scholastic endeavors than everybody else that was involved. And how that they were exempted from having to eat the king's food and, and then delivered, you know, from worshiping the idol and the lion's den. And everybody say grace. 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 We see David preserved everywhere he went and brought in the loving kindness and favor and God gave him a heart to build him a house and by grace the Lord told him, no, I'm going to build you a house. Such grace. We saw it with individual after individual. And I want us to go back and look at Esther again because there's something, go, go to the book of Esther please, there's something here that is key to seeing the greatest Grace. Are you interested in the greatest grace? The greatest measure of grace there is that you could experience and have. This is such an important part of obtaining that. In Esther 4, about verse 10, we're going to begin reading and we're going to read all the way down through uh, the fifth chapter in the first couple of verses. Esther 4.10 Esther, you know, had come from total obscurity to national prominence. Just almost overnight, you might say. She was somebody without a family that Mordecai took in to raise as his own daughter. And now that the king was looking for a queen, and out of all the those that were he could have picked from, she's the one selected. And at the same time, the enemy of God's people is planning to wipe out the nation. And this comes to Mordecai and he tells Esther about it. And so uh, Esther returns word. Uh, Mordecai's telling Esther, you need to do something. You have access to the king. You need to try to do something about saving, saving us. And uh, Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him commandment, the word to take back to Mordecai. Verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of king's province do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king, into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. And I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. There was a law in the kingdom that if you just showed up and went into the throne room where the king was, you died. You died. We laughed first service. I guess it was the drop by and die law. <laughs> sure, just drop by if you want to die. There was an exception if the king extended his scepter to you then that means you were exempted from the law. Otherwise, it was a law. And so Mordecai is urging Esther, talk to the king. And she said, well, I hadn't seen him. 
in 30 days and he hasn't called me and I got no invitation to go to the throne room. She knows she just walks in there unless she has favor, she dies. And uh, verse 12, they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, said, think not, you yourself will escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Now, there's wisdom here we need to get a hold of. He didn't say, if you don't do this, we're going to be lost. And the plan of God is not all riding on you or me. And even if we're supposed to do something and don't do it, he can use somebody else. Even if it was his plan to use us from the beginning, we really do have a free will. But that doesn't mean God can't get his plan done. And he said, deliverance will arise from another place. Mordecai's in faith, isn't he? We will be saved. And who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And it, it was getting obvious to them. You know, think about this. This grace was working in her life in such a profound way, and she had no clue why. Why she was there until now. You know, the the plan of God unfolds like this. If we'll follow him and do what he tells us to do, his favor will be going before us. and, And he'll be leading us and molding us and teaching us and shaping us. And we won't know what for until later on, sometimes years down the road. And we'll begin to realize, oh boy, this is why I'm here. All of that has led up to this. And verse 15, Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. She said, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. And don't eat or drink for these three days, night and day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Now, I know it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, yeah, that's what she should have done. (laughs) But you wasn't there. What if it was you? Huh? And you know, she's been there long enough. She probably knows of people that are no longer around. Because they just strolled into the throne. Without being invited. And she knows it doesn't make any difference. It's the law. But she says pray. <laughs> Y'all pray and fast. We're going to pray and fast. And I'm going. And if I perish I perish. Everybody say commitment. commitment. And chapter 5 verse 1. It came to pass on the third day. Esther put on her royal apparel stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, what happened? She obtained favor in his sight. We're talking about how to get favor, aren't we? We're talking about how to get the greatest favor. 
she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand and Esther went (laughs) I'm not dying today (laughs) and so she drew near and touched the top of the scepter and verse 3 and the king said to her what will you Queen Esther what do you want what is your request it shall be even given to you to the half of the kingdom. If it takes half of my kingdom to do it, what do you want? Now that is great favor. That, not only are you not dying today, the king is ready to use half the resources of his kingdom if it takes it to accomplish whatever you want to. He don't even know what you want to ask yet. This is supernatural favor. But what you see that Esther did, she put herself in the hands of God and the king. Now, in this case, the king is a type of the king. She put herself totally in God's hands and in the hands of the king and said, here I am. If I die, I die. She's trusting on the Lord. She has no plan B. Now let's, let's look and put up on the screen. You don't have to turn to them necessarily. But James 4. And why don't you go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. The 5th chapter. And we'll look at James 4 on the screen. James 4, 6. God gives more grace. But it's not just all up to God. There's a manward side to it. He says, God resists the proud, so the proud do not get grace, and they don't get more grace. God gives grace to who? He gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5 and 5, 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise you younger submit yourselves to the elder, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with humility For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that what may happen? That he may exalt you in due time. Joseph went from the dungeon to number two man. In the whole nation of Egypt. Esther went from obscurity. To queen. Used of God save a nation. Can you see this? We see the grace of God. In such a, a, a pronounced effect. But you see this principle. You humble yourselves. Under the mighty hand of God. And he'll do what? If you are exalted, God's not opposed to you being exalted. He's opposed to you exalting you. He's not opposed to you being exalted, blessed, lifted up, promoted. He's opposed to you trying to do it for yourself. We must humble ourselves under his hand and believe him to do it. We must put ourselves in his hands. Hmm? 
that requires humility and it requires faith. Amen. He said, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Can you see Esther had to do that, didn't she? The care of her life, of her losing her life, of what the king might do. She had to cast that aside and just put her trust in God and say, here I go. Didn't she? And uh, verse uh, 10 of that same chapter says, The God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you've suffered a while. It's not easy doing that. But he will perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You humble yourself. He will exalt you. He'll promote you. The Bible says in, don't turn there, but in uh, Galatians, I believe it is. And what is it? 5-2? No, moving too fast. Romans 5-2. Romans 5-2. We have access by faith into this grace. By faith. And the faith is demonstrated in trusting him and putting ourselves in his hands. Now go to Luke, please. And I think this will begin to come real clear now with this example. Luke, was it chapter 23? Luke 23 is the greatest example of how to obtain grace. If you exalt yourself, you won't be promoted. You will be debased. But if you humble yourself, he will exalt you. And Jesus has endured the trial. He's endured the mocking and the spitting and being hit. He's endured being scourged and and beaten and crucified. And here he is hanging on the cross after hours at the last ebb of his physical life. And this is what he says in verse 46. Jesus cried out with a loud voice. What did he say? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said that, he gave up the ghost. He breathed his last. What's the last thing the master said? Into your hands I commend. Now we'd probably say today, commit. The the Greek word means to place with and to entrust with. Jesus said, I, Father... I'm putting my spirit in your hands. I'm trusting you. Everything I am. Jesus did this in faith. And what faith it took, we really don't know. We can experience different degrees of it, but he cried out already, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing separation from God. He's experiencing 
the full brunt of judgment for sin, he's not just sympathizing with our sin, he became sin with our sin. And as such, he was judged. And now he's dying. What's going to happen to him? Where's he going to wind up? He put his complete trust in the Father. The devil thought he had done it. He's killed the Son of God. He thought his twisted dreams of usurping God were coming to pass. But go to Philippians 2, please. Let's remind ourselves of how the devil played right into God's plan. Because the scripture said if he had known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But he did, and it's too late. Too late. He is now the eternally defeated one, and we are destined to be the glorified ones. In Philippians, the second chapter, are you with me, friends? Philippians 2 and 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Other translations say he emptied himself. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he did what? What did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, Jesus said this. He said, no man takes my life from me. He said, I have commandment of my father to lay it down and I have commandment to take it back up again. And it was demonstrated. Don't you remember when the soldiers came to take him? He asked them, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. He said, I am. And they all fell back on the ground. Well, who's taking who? Huh? He let them take him. He let them. Don't you remember he told his disciples, don't you know I could call on the Father? And he'd send legions of angels right now. But if he had her, you and I'd be lost. The Bible said like a sheep before its shears was dumb, he didn't open his mouth. Why? He let it happen. And in order to do that, he had to humble himself. Didn't he? Think about it. The Lord of glory. The Lord of life. Yielding to death. Becoming sin. Boggles the mind. But that's what it took to save you and me. It was the only way. And he humbled himself. And let it happen. And when he's facing, you know. Try to as much as you can. Put yourself in his place. He's become sin. He knows the judgment of sin is death. 
He knows what comes next. It's not the presence of God. It's the heart of the earth. And who's ever gotten out of there? But he said, Father, into your hands. I am trusting you. And he breathed his last breath. And he left his body. And went down. In faith. Somebody said in faith. And he let himself. Be. Treated. As the sin. Of all mankind. Past, present and future. For those three days and nights. And we don't know exactly how long that plays out in the spirit. But. He is trusting God. I said he is trusting God. And God stood up. And said, this day I have begotten you. I think hell shook like the worst earthquake that's ever happened. And he triumphed over death and hell and sin and the grave. And he rose. He didn't just rise from physical death. He rose free from spiritual death and all sin. And he didn't do it for himself. He didn't need it. He did it for me. He did it for you. He did it for us. And notice the description of how this happened. In Philippians, he humbled himself, verse 8, and became obedient to death. See, we have respect for the cross. But back in that day, wearing a cross would be like wearing a hypodermic needle. It represented lethal injection. It represented uh, execution of the worst criminals. It'd be like an electric chair. He didn't just die. He died the most reproachful exposed, humiliating. You're hung up there in front of everybody to see. Try to wriggle and get some relief. Awful. And he humbled himself and let it happen. What am I talking about, saints? The greatest grace. How do you get it? How did he get it? How do you get it? James 4, 6, God gives more grace. Who gets it? The proud get resisted, but God gives grace to the humble. Jesus, go back to Philippians 2, please. Philippians 2, 8, he humbled himself. Philippians 2, 8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And what happened as a result? Verse 9. Wherefore, God also has what? Highly exalted him. This is grace. This is favor. Who has the greatest favor in all time and eternity? Who has the highest place? Who has the greatest name? Jesus. Jesus. But who humbled himself and trusted God to the lowest place? Jesus. Jesus. How do you get the greatest grace? You humble yourself 
And you trust him. And you put yourself into his hands. No plan B. Huh? And you're counting on him holding out to you the golden scepter. Right? You're counting on the favor of God. Wherefore God highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you believe that every tongue will confess? I'm telling you, every ungodly unbeliever, people that cursed God, people that worshiped and prayed to rocks and stars and everything else, and every demon in hell, for this is over, is going to have to acknowledge and admit He is. He is the one. He is. People that made fun of Him now. There will come a time where they'll fall trembling and go, he is the one. He is the king. People that cursed him. People that mocked and made fun of us. There will come a time. The very demons in hell will have to confess. You know they don't want to, but that don't make any difference. I'm going to shout when they do. How about you? I'm going I'm to shout. Come on, now get this. You and I glorified ones. Standing with the master. And old devil himself. Has to crouch down and go Jesus is Lord. I'm going to shout. I'm going to shout. And all his cronies. And everybody has to fall down with him. And go Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I'm so glad by the grace of God. You and I got enough sense to say it now. Now, before the judgment on this side, everybody's going to say it. The saved ones say it now. Go to 2 Corinthians, please, the first chapter. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Paul experienced this. He got revelation in this very thing. He had a call and commission on his life to preach the good news to the known world. He traveled the best way they could. He went far and near and did it repeatedly. And it was not all fun and games, was it? You read the list of stuff he went through in the New Testament? He was stoned. He was beat with sticks. He was shipwrecked more than once. You know, one occasion he made it out. They were in a hurricane for days and days and days. And then the ship broke up and they made it out of the storm. And he gets to the island and a poisonous snake bites him. And he's the same one that said, none of these things move me. But he had some times where he was pushed to the brink and beyond. And he learned this thing we're talking about this morning. How to put himself into the hands of God. And access the kind of grace we're talking about. In 2 Corinthians 
first chapter and the eighth verse in the NIV. Second Corinthians 1 8 NIV. He said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life. Let me just stop right here. People have tried to make these kind of things, suffering being broke, suffering being sick, suffering with mental anguish and torment, and that is not in the Bible. That is not in this New Testament. What is in here is that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution. And there can be tremendous pressure brought on. You know, you, well, I don't talk about it a whole lot, but we have been nailed for preaching prosperity, preaching healing, preaching these things. You know, and the enemy tries to to wear you down. He tries to get you offended. He tries to get you hold grudges and, and, and you know, all kind of junk. But notice what he goes on to say. He said, verse 9, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. That's how far he was pushed. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. This is revelation right here. If you say, well, I, I think I may die. Your next thought ought to be, God raises the dead. Ah, somebody got it. <laughs> I may die. Okay. Isn't it good you know the one who raises the dead? And verse 10, he has delivered us. From such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. That he will continue. To deliver us. Somebody say thank you Lord. Verse 11. Let me back up. What did he say he had done? Verse 10. On him we've done what? We've set our hope. Can you see. Has he put himself in God's hands? He said, I got to the place where I, I didn't know if we were going to make it. But I'm trusting God that raises the dead. And verse 11, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Did Paul have some grace on his life? Oh, man, he said it. He said, I have labored more abundantly than they all. He's talking about all the other apostles. All the, that, you might think, well, man, you, you're bragging. He said, no, yet not I. It was the grace of God in me. And I don't think that's disputable. I mean, look what he did. He preached the gospel to the known world. This is pre-cell phone, pre-satellite, pre-combustion engine. Huh? Every once in a while, I think I can almost hear him going, Keith, if I'd have had a jet airplane. <laughs> and TV cameras and internet. I can almost hear him in the grandstands going, get after it, boy. Look at what you got. <laughs> and we say, yes, sir. Go to the 12th chapter. 
of this same book of 2 Corinthians. And I think sometimes we have not linked and connected. This is a letter. It's divided up into chapter and verses. But Paul didn't write it in chapter and verses. And he's talking about the same thing now in the 12th chapter. As he was talking about in the first chapter. About being pressed beyond measure. And learning how to put himself in God's hands. And accessing this grace. And it's very specific here. 2 Corinthians 12 and uh, 9, I believe it is. And I'm reading from the Woost translation. I, I think it's how it's pronounced. Some people say Weast. We're still researching to find that out. <laughs> Anyhow, he said, uh, he has said to me in verse 9, and his declaration still stands, my grace is enough for you. For power is moment by moment coming to its full energy and complete operation in the sphere of weakness. What he had said, the scripture here previously said, that because of all the abundance of revelations that he had and the word he was getting out, there was assigned to him a messenger of Satan. He called it a thorn in the flesh. Now, it is bizarre how folks have twisted this and made all kind of stuff out of this that's not in the passage. I've read some passages that people said, well, what Paul had a rare oriental eye disease called ophthalmia. Huh? It was a thorn. No, thorn in the flesh is a figure of speech. It was used in the Old Testament. Referring to the Canaanites, he said, if you don't get them out of the land, there are going to be pricks in your side, thorns in your side. If you said about somebody, they're a pain in the neck, which you ought not say. (laughs) But that doesn't mean they're literally giving you physical pain in your neck. It's a figure of speech, meaning it's a constant irritation. Well, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh. Yes, we do. The Bible said it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Messenger is a personality. And you can see it everywhere Paul went. He had revival and riot. There were people that paid their own way to follow him around to other towns and other countries. To cause, stir up trouble against him. Now you know you're demon inspired when you're spending your own money to follow people around and harass them. And this had happened so much and for so long that Paul said, I'm tired of this, God. Would you make this thing leave me alone? Make this stop. And he learned something that a lot of Christians are yet to learn. You don't ask God to make the devil stop. That is vain praying. Are y'all with me? You can't find any scripture in the New Testament that instructs you to ask God to make the devil stop. He said, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Didn't he say it? He gave us authority in his name. And what he revealed to Paul is, I have given you grace. And the grace I've given you is enough. And Paul got a revelation. And he saw like Esther about to go in the throne room. He saw like Jesus hanging on the cross. 
This is what I got to do. I don't have the strength to do it, but I put myself in his hands. And I look to him totally. And I, and I am counting on great grace to come into my life. And that's what he said. He said, my grace is enough for you. Say it out loud. His grace, his grace is, enough for me. is enough for me. It's all you need. He said, for power is moment by moment coming to its full energy and complete operation in the sphere of weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ, like the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies, may take up its residence in me, working within me, and giving me help. He came to the realization, when I'm at my weakest and I'm at the end of my rope, It's time to shout. It's the opportunity. I can receive more grace. Than I've ever had in my life before. It can come into me. And he went on to say. I'm in weaknesses. Insults. Necessities. Persecution. Circumstances. Under which I'm subject to extreme pressure. On the behalf of Christ. For when I am weak. Then I am filled with ability. And power. Is that grace? Is that great grace? When I am weak, that's when I am filled with ability and power. When I'm weak. Oh, friend, we need to recognize we're not above the master. If that's the way he had to do it, that's the way we must do it. He came to a place where he breathed the last breath he had. And he said, Father, into your hands. Did he humble? The Bible said he humbled himself. Obedient to death. He hum, but is he humbling himself in despair? Oh no, no. In total confidence. In total faith. That the one he's trusting in will keep him. And the grace of God will be enough. And more than enough. Hallelujah. I would say too. And that when you are the weakest, and when you are at your last straw, so to speak, at your wit's end, at your last breath, that's when you can experience the greatest grace that you have experienced in your whole life. And Paul got such a revelation, he thought, glory to God, I glory in weaknesses, necessities, challenges, and trials, because I know Here comes the flood of grace. Here comes. It's at times like that. That I experience ability and power from God. That is beyond me. Beyond me. When I am weak. That's when I'm strong. Not me. But the grace of God. In me. Can you say amen? Amen. Everybody stand on your feet. Oh let's begin to lift up our hands. Let's begin to thank him for his grace that does not fail. His grace that passes understanding. Just lift up your hearts. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. Begin to say, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing too big for your grace. Nothing too hard. Nothing too far gone. Said out loud, when I am weak, 
That's when I'm strong. The grace of God in me is enough and more than enough. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.